Well, I'm really excited. I, I can now go to the 55-plus Christmas lunch. <laughs> I just did that to Paul. And said, hey, we can go to that now. Okay, that's good. And I think the leftovers are going to Bunnings the next day. Is that right, Betty? No. Uh, day before. Okay. All right. Well, it's good to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I was wondering if we could just open up uh, to First John. There's another little passage I'd like to read uh, to, with, uh, with you and it's sort of like a foundation on, on what we're going to build on this morning with those two verses in John's Gospel. So it's 1 John chapter 4. And it's no coincidence that uh, both these uh, uh, readings are written by the Apostle John and I guess... He would be the one apostle that majors on the theme of love, God's love. So it's not unusual to see this. So 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I would love to spend time on on those verses with you, but we won't be doing that this morning. If you could turn to to the the reading that uh, Bev gave us this morning in John chapter 13, that's what we're looking at this morning, but it's foundational to this, this passage here. In fact, I think this is where John gets his inspiration from. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways you can study God's word and Rick Warren has a book called Studying God's Word. In it, he gives us 12 different methods of studying God's word. I recommend that book to you. I've given it to a number of people. It's a very good book. In one of those 12 ways of studying God's word, he calls this a word study, where you pick a word out of the Bible or a couple of words or a phrase and you look at them and you see if they appear anywhere else. As a young believer in a little church in East Coburg, that's how I was taught and encouraged to study God's word. That's what we're going to do this morning. It it resonates with me. I find it helpful. I hope it's helpful to you this morning. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Where have you heard that little phrase before? We just read it, didn't we, in 1 John. A new commandment. What is it? 
Why was it given? Here we go. Why was it given? And where and how is it applied? We're going to look at those, the first two of those uh, topics there to, uh, today and next week we're going to see how we can apply this in our daily living. The greatest commandment, our brother Keith last week spoke about that, didn't he? The greatest commandment. What is the most important thing we could do in our faith, in our religion? That's what the Pharisee asked Jesus Christ. Which is the greatest commandment? And we were told, weren't we, to love God. And without even being asked what is number two then, the Lord just jumped in there and said, and your neighbour. These are the two greatest commandments. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of debate of who your neighbour is, but I think our brother Keith explained that to us last week. But I'd like to point out to you that the Lord Jesus Christ here says, a new command, a new commandment. Is this the 11th commandment? Some commentators tell us that. In the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments given. Who were they given to? Who were they given to? The Jews. Israel. They were given to God's people. Yes? Yes. And those commands, the obedience and living out those commands, identified those people with Jehovah. In the New Testament, where we are now, where you and I live, we have a new commandment. A new commandment. And this commandment, what does this commandment do? By this, all men will know that you, you, are my disciples. That's what the Lord said. This is how they'll know. So in the New Testament, we have this little phrase, my commandment, his commandments. And who, who are those commandments for? The Lord's people. The Lord's people. We are the Lord's people. We are the the bride of Christ. We belong to him. And if we keep these commandments, we have our identity in Christ. Can you see the parallel there? Commandments were given in the Old Testament by God to his people, the Jews. Jesus Christ gave a new commandment to his people, the believers, the New Testament believers, to identify them with himself and vice versa. New. That's an interesting word, isn't it? What's new about it? What's new about this commandment? It's not as if it's it's something that's never been given before. I mean, we, we talked about love this morning. We talked about it last week. 
It's been in the Bible for a very, very long time. It's not as if we've never talked about love before. It's new because it's not another law. It's not just an add-on. The Lord didn't say another commandment, an extra commandment. He didn't say here's one more. He said a new commandment I give to you. It's not another thou shalt. It's not like that at all. So I wonder whether it really is the 11th commandment. What it actually is, is a development of the other two commandments, the other two love commandments. That's what it is. It's the third one. Love God. We looked at that last week, didn't we? That's the, what? The vertical. Love God. Love others. Love your neighbour. What was that? That was horizontal. This one, love one another. Love one another. It's a third grouping of people. It's a third class of people if you want to look at it that way. There's three. Love God. Love your neighbour. Love one another. And it's interesting that there's three aspects of this love, isn't there? If you're into the numerology of scripture, which I'm not because I'm not really good at that, Trinity, God three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, love God, love your neighbour, love one another. So you can see here why it's new. It's a little bit different, isn't it, from the other two? And it's also new because of this qualifying bit the Lord puts in, as I have loved you. You don't see that before now. When the Lord stands here and he's speaking not to the Jews, not to the Pharisees, not even to, to the people that are around about, he's speaking to his disciples, he says, love one another as I have loved you. It's new in experience. It's fresh. It's fresh in its application. And that's the key here, the application of this love. It's important. It's vital, not just to our faith, but to our testimony to the world. Just like it was vital for the Old Testament Jew for them to live out the commandments faithfully, for that to be a testimony to the people round about. That's how they were going to get to know God. That's how God was going to be honoured and glorified to the people round about. And by obeying God's commands, it was going to make it attractive for the nations round about to follow the same God. That was the idea. Not much has changed in the New Testament. We have the same charge that the Israelites had as far as honouring God. So, new. The meaning of that word is, in this context, superior. 
This love is new. The way that we actually interact with one is new because it's superior to the old. It's a little bit like a new car. You know, I used to have a 76 Kingswood. It had four wheels, an engine, automatic transmission. It got me from A to B. I now have, well, no, it's actually Paul Lane's car, but we now have a Mazda 6. It has four wheels, an engine, automatic transmission. It still gets me from A to B, but I'd rather drive the Mazda. It's better, it's superior. It's still a car. The iPhone uh, 6, I don't have one, I've got the 5, but I was just looking at it the other day. I've got a 3 at home, I've got a 4S and a 5S. There's not a lot of difference when you look at them. They all do the same thing. I can call you up, I can send you a text message. But I'd rather have my iPhone 5. It's a little bit better than the other two. And this new commandment is more powerful the other commandments, the other ten and, and, and the others that are in, in um, Exodus, they were carried out in the person's strength. If you were a Jew, you had, to, you had to keep those commandments yourself, on your own, in your own strength, with your own ability. This one, this new commandment, comes in a more powerful way the Holy Spirit empowers, it empowers the person to live it out, to carry it out. So you can see, it's a new type of life. It's a new commandment. It's different. It's better. When you go to the book of Hebrews, everything about the Lord Jesus and everything that he did and everything that he said and everything that he accomplished was superior, wasn't it? It was better. So this love, this new commandment that he encourages us to live out is better. Terminology is very, very important. Hear this little phrase, a new commandment, only occurs three times in the New Testament. And on each occasion it's referring to this commandment. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 8 and in chapter 2 uh, in 2 John verse chapter 1 verse 5 it talks about John says, you know, there was a new commandment given, but now it's not new anymore, it's an old one, but we're going to talk about it again. It's so important to the Christian this commandment. In fact, this is the only time that the Lord says, a new commandment I give unto you. He gave a lot of teaching. He gave a lot of instruction. He gave a lot of things for us to obey, but he never phrased it like this before. This is the only time he's used this phrase. It's got to be significant, yeah? It's got to be. And it's significant because it identifies us with him. As, as, um, as we looked at uh, in Exodus, I mentioned there about the, um, the people in the Old Testament. 
after God delivered the nation of Israel from the bondage in Egypt, you know, led them through the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptian army, their salvation was secure. They had nothing to worry about. The enemy had been defeated, they'd been taken out of the, the land of, uh, of, of their, their bondage and there they were at the bottom of Mount Sinai looking forward to the promised land. And, the Lord, and, and God there says, says to them, uh, says to Moses to come up and listen to what he says. And this is just before, just before those ten commandments were given to this nation. This is the Lord, this is God speaking. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you of all nations will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And just after that, the Ten Commandments were given. And, and the Jew has been identified with those Ten Commandments ever since. To the point when the Lord was here, God's Son was here. What was it they tried to trip him up on? That law, those commandments. That Pharisee went up and said, which is the greatest of the commandments? It identified the Jew with God Jehovah. In the New Testament, how do people know we belong to Christ? What identifies you and me as his disciple? That's a very interesting question. It's an important question. It's important to the Lord. It's not a name. It doesn't matter what you call your church. That does not identify you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian, Anglican, Pentecostal. Even You can call yourself even the Church of Christ. That is not what identifies a person as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not what it says here. It's not what the Lord's looking for. You know, we can put names and titles and a whole heap of things. I just love the way, you know, man does that. You know, let's make a change. Let's make changes. The first thing that they do is what? Change the name. And usually very little else changes, but they spend a lot of time changing names and giving really fancy titles to things. You know, I used to be a carpenter. Now I am a building practitioner. I do the same thing, but anyway. So we and the world are good at labelling, giving names to things, but it really does not identify truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. What about the things that we wear perhaps? Perhaps some of the clothes that we wear. You know, if you've got a a funny collar, you might be known as a Christian or some, some churches wear uniforms, others uh, wear scarves and, 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 and coverings. People wear, wear crosses around their necks or on the lapels, little things on their bracelets, you know, what would Jesus do? All sorts of things 
And please don't be offended if I've mentioned you because most of those things my wife and I do, apart from maybe the funny uniforms. We haven't got any uniforms. But we do that, don't we? I've got T-shirts at home that says, Fear God. Does that really identify me and you as a disciple? You know, there are lots of people wear, wear crosses around their necks that shouldn't be wearing them. It can identify us, but it's not what the Lord says here. It's not what he desires our identification to be. And then there are the social programs. You know, you know there, is, there are some really good things that, that we do as churches, as Christians. You know, some of the social welfare programs, the health care, the disaster relief. They're all good. Nothing wrong with that. It's not what it says here because, you know, even though these things spring from, from compassion and concern and even love sometimes for our fellow man, the world does these things as well. It's not unusual. It's not different. It doesn't identify us as a disciple of Jesus Christ. William MacDonald is a, is a Bible teacher and he has a, a commentary. And this is what he writes. It's up on the screen. I'll read it out for you. The badge of, a, of Christian discipleship is not a cross worn around the neck or on the lapel or some distinctive clothing. Anyone could profess discipleship by these means. The true mark of a Christian is love for his fellow Christian. You may be able to argue with William MacDonald. You may be able to buttonhole me later on when we have coffee and argue the point with me, but you can't argue with the red writing in the Bible. You just can't. You can't. He says, the Lord says, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How important is that? The next little phrase I'd like to bring to your attention is the little phrase, love one another. It comes up eight times in the New Testament. And by loving one another, we exhibit God's love. We demonstrate God's love. We, we, we tell people that we belong to God. That's what the Lord said. He said, by this all men, everywhere, doesn't matter which country, which nationality, which race, makes no difference. All men everywhere will know. That's definite, isn't it? Not that, oh, they, they may surmise, they may think, they will know we belong to Jesus Christ. It's a specific thing, isn't it, to love one another. It's a bit different from loving your neighbour. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. It doesn't say that. We love God. We love our neighbour. And we love one another. That's how God wants it to be. That's how the Lord wants it to be. That little phrase, one another. When I looked that up in the dictionary thing, where it talks about grammar and that, it talks about this little phrase, that what it means... It means 
Each and every one. Each and every one. It means every last one. You know, whoever's last, them included. It means all one and all. That's what that, that, that when you put those two words together, that's what it means in the English language. That's what, the idea. And when you add it to, to this love that the Lord talks about here, what it's saying is no exception. The provision of this love is for all. No exceptions. Every last one. One and all. Love is a big subject. God's love is, is even a bigger subject. But I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch of what, what it's about. The New Testament's written in Greek. I know it doesn't look like Greek in your Bible, but it is. It's written in Greek. And the Greeks have four main words for the word love. Now, we've got one. You know, I love coffee. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the bombers. I love test cricket. You know, I love to eat. I'm using the same word. And, and sometimes we, the English language devalues this word love because it's the only word we've got. And so that's why we have to qualify it sometimes. But the Greeks have got four main words. Agape, eros, philia, and I'm glad that Desi's not here because she's probably thinking I'm not pronouncing this right, and stego. Very quickly, agape is the highest, the noblest, the unconditional love. It's usually referred to the love that God has for, for, for mankind and the love that we should have towards God. The highest, the noblest, unconditional. Eros is the sexual, physical, intimate, romantic love. That's where we get our word erotic from. Philia is the friendship, affection, platonic, deep feeling, emotional love, you know, that we might have for friends, football teams, coffee. And Stego, I think that's how you pronounce it, is the the family love, you know, the love that a parent has for a child and, and, and vice versa, a love that we might have for our, our little pussycat, our, our pets, you know, that, a country, you know, the patriotic love we might have for, for the land. So they've got, whenever they want to talk about love, they think about the context and they choose one of those four words. In the New Testament, only two of those words are used, agape and philia. They're the only two. And in John 13, 34, 35, it's the agape love that it's talking about, the highest, the noblest, the unconditional love. And it's used in the New Testament to describe the attitude that God has towards his son, to humans, mankind generally, you know, for God so loved the world. It's talking about this unconditional, highest, noblest love. It describes the love that God has for the people who believe in his son. And it describe, and it's also used to express the essential nature of God. And we read that in First John chapter 4. Love is very important to the Christian faith. It, it's, it's a mark. It signifies, it identifies. 
John, as I said, is the apostle that uses this word and brings out this theme so well for us. In John's Gospel, the one that's open before us, the word love is used 56 times. 12 times in chapters 1 to 12 and 44 times in chapters 13 to 8. Now, if you're a Bible scholar, those last eight chapters is what is referred to as the farewell ministry of Christ. And in that time, in that period, he's mainly speaking to his disciples. So when he's talking to his disciples, this, this, this word love, this theme of love is very, very critical. It's very important. And it should be important to us in our lives as Christians. But it needs to be understood the way that the Lord intended us to understand it. It's not how the world has interpreted love, not even how you and I might interpret love. It has to be this type of love, the agape love and the filial love that that is referred to, that God wants us to understand. So we've seen a few things, interesting things, haven't we, uh, about this, this new commandment to love. And here's another interesting characteristics between the three. All three commands, the three greatest commands, all involve love. Love. Very, very important. All three give a directive of who to love. The, the greatest commandment is to love God. How? With all your heart, all your mind, depending on which verse you read, all your strength and all your soul. Who to love, how to love. And it gives also a direct... And then the next one, the love your neighbour, how? As yourself. And so the last one, the new commandment, the Lord says, love one another as I have loved you. You know, it's not easy to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Takes a bit of thought. Takes a bit of effort. Some days it's very challenging to do that. And when you get to the next one, loving your neighbour as yourself, you know, that's really difficult some days in some situations. So when we come to the new commandment, to love the Lord your God, to love one, love one another as I have loved you, why should it be any different? Why should this one be? Oh yeah, I can do that. I can love my, my I can love you easy. No worries. How we're to love. The next bit of this verse I'd like you to look at, it says here, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love. You can see why a word study can be quite beneficial, can't you? It is only two verses. 
Only two verses. That's what a commandment is, isn't it? Something you must do. Written in red. I'm not saying this. The Lord said this. He says you must love like this. I don't have an option. It's not an interpretation. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have any wriggle room here. I must do this. Let me tell you, it's not easy for me to do this. It's not easy. It's not easy to do this. That's why the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. That's why they failed in the Old Testament. They had to do it in their own strength. So, as I said, this, this love is, uh, is a high calling. It really is. It's a huge challenge. It's a big, big ask. It's the Lord that asks it. I don't think the Lord would ask us to do anything that is impossible for us to do. It wouldn't be right, would it? It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be just. Sometimes that's a bit of a, an escape clause, isn't it? Oh, I can't do it like the Lord. I mean, the Lord, he was special. He was God's son, you know. He was, he was, not, he was not like anyone else. So it gives me an excuse to not love you like I should. That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. So what, what does... The, the love that the Lord demonstrated. What does it look like? Well, it's, it's sacrificial. He gave all. Didn't hold anything back. He, 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 he was, it was unconditional. It included everybody, everyone. The thief next to him on the cross, the beggar, the leper, the Pharisee, the Gentile, everybody. One time, one of those posters out the front. We didn't we didn't have it out here because we thought it might be a bit too controversial. But it said that Jesus Christ loved Hitler. He loved the world. Loved everyone. Everyone. Unconditional love. Hard for me to get my head around that. But anyway, that's what it said. It's a committed love. You know, Jesus Christ was devoted to his Father and to you and me. That's a sort of love. It's a tender love. You know, you know, picture the Lord with the little kiddies, you know, come unto me, little children. But it was also a tough love. He had to say things sometimes that, ooh, but it was tough. Tough love. And it was deliberate. I like this one because, you know, it was not impulsive. You know, sometimes we do things out of love, at an imp- it's impulsive, you know. But the Lord's love was not impulsive. It wasn't motivated by natural affection and instincts. It was deliberate. There's another very famous uh, man, W.E. Vine. He says, love can only be known from the actions it prompts. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? 
I can say I love my wife. I can say I love my children. I can say I love you. But what do my actions actually say? Hmm? Interesting thought. Next week, if you're a glutton for punishment, next week we're going to look at another phrase. The, the phrase, one another. We've mentioned it a few times in this passage. It's in 1 John, chapter, uh, 1 John 4 that we read there, verse 18. God, God is wonderful, very wise. He's given us his word and I love his word because it helps me to understand what I should do. And, he, and the Lord just didn't say, a new commandment I give you, love one another. In the New Testament, that little phrase, one another, comes up 35 times. Each time, it gives us an instruction of what we're to do for one another, to one another, because of one another. And when you look at those phrases and you look at the context, you discover, hey, that's what the Lord did. That's how he reacted. That's how he behaved. That's what he said. And so you discover what it's like to love as he loved. It's not hard to do, really. It's a willingness, an attitude to have. So next week we're going to look at not all 35. We won't have enough time. We're going to try and get through maybe six or seven. I'll give you the rest as a list and I want, I'd love you to look them up yourself because they will help you. I have, I have looked at them for years and years and years. I'm still working through the list. Let me tell you, they will challenge you. They will make you feel guilty that this, you're not doing this. I'm telling you this now. Maybe I shouldn't have because maybe you won't come next week. But seriously, do we love the Lord? Remember what it said in First John? Do we really love the Lord? What did he say this? He says, I want you to love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I hope you have this open because I'd like you to look at chapter 14, verse 15. This should be what motivates you to keep reading, to come next week. And as you look through the Bible this week, if that little phrase, one another, stands out, note it, have a look at it, see what it says. It says here, this is this again, written in red, if you love me, says the Lord, if you love me, you will obey what I command. A new commandment I give unto you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's what the Lord said. Thanks for listening.